0: Most treasure maps we have seen in cartoons or movies are illustrated on faded, maybe scrolled, parchment paper with a few geographic details like a hill or a pond or a tree and an X that marks the spot where the treasure is located. There are also our verbal maps. Legend has it that in the early 1800s, Thomas Jefferson Beale discovered a huge treasure of gold, silver, and jewels out in New Mexico. He had it transferred back east, buried it in Bedford County. He left instructions in a box with a trusted innkeeper there, Robert Morris, and that the, the instructions should be open after 10 years if he did not return, which he did not. He was never seen or heard from again. So, after that 10 years had passed, Morris did open the box, and inside were three different sets of instructions written in code called ciphertexts. Supposedly, one of them was deciphered enough to know what the treasure encompassed, and in 2011 terms, it would have been about $63 million worth. So far as we know, the other two have not been decoded, though many have tried, many have searched, many have dug. But the, the Beale treasure map was composed of words and not images. And sometimes I think the words of Jesus are like a code that we need to decipher, Jesus wasn't a visual artist in the sense that he didn't take paintbrushes and illustrate a picture of a Samaritan helping out a half-dead guy in a ditch while religious leaders walked on the other side of the road. He used stories. He used descriptive words. He enticed the imagination of his listeners in that way. He drew them into the stories so that they could experience for themselves what the characters experienced and then perhaps see themselves within that story. Thankfully, we still have many of his stories, and we are invited to decipher them and to find our treasure within. Today's passage begins, Do not be afraid, little flock. He's talking to his disciples and others who are gathered. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out. money bags that don't need to hold money. An unfailing treasure in heaven. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, as for context, Jesus has just told the story of a wealthy landowner who had a good crop, built larger barns, tore down the old ones, and sat down to eat, drink, and be merry as if he's one of the three winners of last week's Powerball lottery. The first of those women step forward, Paul White, said, It's just surreal at this point. I don't think you guys can understand. It's crazy. No worries anymore. How much are we like Paul White? If we only were to win the lottery, we would have no more worries. Do you ever fantasize about what you would do with $100 million if it just happened to fall into your hands? I have I'd pay off the house, I'd fill out the retirement account of me and my husband and then my parents and my sister. I would sock away money for the kids' college funds. I'd give ten million dollars of it to the church for a massive renovation. I'd buy my husband the fiat that he wants, and I would buy myself the convertible and I don't know which kind. But you know, couldn't we go on and on about all that, you know, all that we had, all that we could do if we just had the, that money and no worries anymore. You think? No worries anymore? Let me reread Jesus' words. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus seems to be talking paradoxically. An intake of money isn't going to blow away our worries like a gust of wind blows away a dandelion seed out of sight. He's telling us that we already have the whole kingdom. It has been our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Can you believe that generosity? God is not giving it grudgingly. Jesus doesn't say, it's your father's grudge, but God gives you the kingdom anyway. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Some of you are really good at giving with pleasure. I've seen pies passed around and cookies. Sometimes if you stick around long enough after dessert first fellowship time, you'll get a few extra grapes or crackers too. Some of you give chocolate freely, which I greatly admire. And I've also heard of thoughtful notes received, appreciation for all the hours that have gone into making a prayer shawl, and help with transportation. Those of you who do these and other generous acts are giving alms. You're making purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven. You are living like Jesus wants all of us to do. You have figured out where your treasure should be, and your heart has followed it there. You are the servants who are prepared with your lamps lit when the groom comes home from the wedding banquet. Remember that part of what Jesus said? It could sound scary, but it's meant as a gift. Do you hear what happens when we live generously on behalf of others like Jesus did? While we have been the servants, Jesus will come and will bless us by belting up his robes so that he can move about more easily. He will invite us to the table and he will put the plate in front of us, pour the wine for us. Can you imagine how humbling that would be? It's probably how Peter and other disciples felt when Jesus was washing their feet. At the same time, we can't stay awake 24 hours a day. God didn't create us like that. Every part of creation needs rest and renewal. And we do have a choice of how to use the time that we are awake and I don't know if you knew this or not, but we'll never do it perfectly. Did you know? Had you figured that out yet? Of course. We'll never do it perfectly. But this image of God is so generous that I think we can do it well enough. Good Housekeeping Magazine has sections inside now that are called, like, Good Enough Housekeeping. And good enough parenting. Good enough. It's a reminder that it is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We're good enough for God to want to give us the kingdom with pleasure. Not because we try to be perfect or even because we are good enough or even when we're not. But it's God's nature to be good and generous. This is a treasure, an unfailing treasure that moth or rust will not destroy and that we get to enjoy not just in the hereafter, not just the kingdom that comes after we die, but here and now. The kingdom has come. Our map to the treasure is found in the words in red in those red letter editions of the Bible, the words of Jesus. We can't live perfectly the life that he sets before us, but we can take a step at least each day to do something to expand God's kingdom, God's realm on earth. A few weeks ago, Janice Dyerly came to church with her triplet grandsons, who are now eight years old, almost nine. While Will, Sam, and Ian were staying with their grandparents that week, they were to do one good deed each day. And so she had them recite some of their good deeds, and then their good deed for that day was helping their grandmother to set up the school supply store in the parlor. Perhaps your good deed today will be purchasing some of those school supplies that will be given to Hurt Park Elementary for their needy children, their needy students. It would be great for all of those school supplies to be sold to offer the school where they are greatly appreciated. Living for others is our response to God's generosity. And we can't do it alone. We can't do it by ourselves. We need God's help first. And we need each other's help second. We've had several successful mission days when we have gone to Baptist Friendship House or Samaritan Inn and offered something to them with our time and our hands and our energy. That is our response to God's generosity. It's not something that we could have done individually. Now, individuals can go and do certain things at either of those places, but to have a group of folks come in to help was really meaningful. And besides that, it was really fun. So when we do these things in community, not only does the kingdom get enhanced, but we get enhanced as well. We enjoy each other, we enjoy life, we are blessed just as Jesus coming and girding his belt around his wrappings and moving in our lives and serving our meal like we could serve others. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. David Livingston was a renowned missionary and explorer in South Central Africa. And when he died there, the body was buried, was sent back to England and buried in Westminster Abbey. But before his remains were transferred back to England, his heart was removed and buried in Africa, the Africa that he loved, at the foot of a tall tree. A small African village. The natives dug this hole and placed his heart there, this man whom they loved and respected so much. So, if your heart were to be buried somewhere, in the place that you love most in life, where would it be? Would it be in your wallet? Would it be in an appropriate space down in the office? Where is your heart? Where do you live? Where's your treasure? If we're searching our treasure map each day for the X, it won't be found in winning the lottery, but in giving away what is perishable. That's the paradoxical treasure we find When Jesus is our map. Let's pray to follow it well. May we bow our heads. Holy Lord of life and death and new life, we thank you for your presence among us. We thank you for the power of your presence in Jesus Christ. For the lessons he taught, for the way he lived, for the way he showed us where real treasure is to be found, and that is in you. From finding our treasure in you, we can look elsewhere and see many other treasures that you have given to us with pleasure. There is such grace in you, O Lord. We pray that we would remember that it is sufficient for us. Help us not then to be anxious. Help us to release our worries and our concerns and our anxieties to you. Help us to release our hurts and our grudges and our anger, and our sadness even, our grief, to you. We trust that you are big enough to take it and to relieve us of it. We pray, O God, that we could live with single-minded focus, as Jesus did. Always aiming toward you. Attentive to you and guided by your principle of love for each other. We pray that each day would be a new day for us to take on our mantle of love that you have given us so generously and with pleasure. Help us to wear it well, help us to wear it wisely. Help us to wear it with generosity, with strength, and with hope to carry forward to others. Lord our God, we are in prayer for Jane Price and for her family as they mourn Brian's loss. We ask for your blessings of peace and comfort and hope to be with them in this time of deep sadness. We pray for others who are grieving, for Sandra Alexa and Janice Humphreys and David Sisler and his family. We ask for comfort and peace for them as well. We pray for Bessie Kinsey as she heals from her physical challenges Pray that you would continue to give her peace and perseverance in getting better. And we pray that for Candace Brogdon as well. That you would give her the strength that she needs to continue through the chemo. Lord, you have blessed us with each other as a place and a group of support and love and hope. So we ask that you would help us to take on that mantle of responsibility for each other and care for each other so that we can make a difference in this world, so that we can share generously the kingdom that you have shared with us. Lord, we pray that our treasure would be found in you. Help us to search for that map on that map, and find you with Jesus' help each day. We pray in his holy name. Amen.